Hey, everybody, it is Sherry. This episode is going to air on a Friday in August of 2023. We are part of the Emotional Kids Summit, and John Alita and I are going to talk a little bit about a project that we've been working on, oh gosh, since the day we met, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think that night when we met, we talked a little bit about that, that in the intro. That night we met, we vowed to write a book together. And that book, I would say, what, 90% written? Absolutely, yes. Very close. 90% written. We have some things that we'd like to tweak a little bit about it. But we wanted to introduce to you some of the characters inside the book. And the first character I think we ought to talk about is Tanisha. What do you think? Yes, Tanisha. Tanisha. She's a special girl. Yeah? I think Tanisha was based on uh, one of my students. Yes. So, Tanisha. So, Tanisha, in our book, is based on a combination of two people that I know very well. One of them was a student of mine who I got introduced to during a contract that I worked at a school for while and another OT was on maternity leave. So I wasn't there very long, but I got to know this child. And what really struck me about this child, and I can't tell you her name, but it was a different language that I never heard before. And then I got to know her mom a little bit. And the story behind the story is that they moved up here from... Jamaica or Haiti. And I can't remember which one. And we put mm-hmm. Haiti in the book. And mom was trying to escape an abusive mm-hmm. relationship. And by moving up here, she moved closer to a family member. Ended up in the county that I live in. I was with this contract. And this child was in, I think, first or second grade when I met her. And She was struggling to communicate, not just written expression-wise, but oral expression as Mm. well. And the more I got to know mom, the more I went, wow, I really admire you. Mm -hmm. I admire you because not only did she move up here, get out of that abusive relationship, but she made her way through the stages and ended up to be the director of nursing at a local assistive care facility. So it was just she and her child that were living here. The other family member was still around, but they weren't living in the same building. And it was just amazing to see mom's empowerment toward her. And one of the things that we were working on after I evaluated her was how to get her the specific things that she needed. And it was very different than the average way that you would look at occupational therapy. It wasn't necessarily the OT kind of things like you would think of as handwriting and Mm. stuff like that. It was her nutritional needs. It was some of her medical needs and, Mm -hmm. and those kind of things that we really had to be creative as a team to make it work effectively. So I I say this and I introduce her. When we started talking about Tanisha, what were some of the things that were coming to your mind 
Generally. Well, and the reason that I said she's a very special girl, and although we have this character development in the book that are technically non nonfiction characters, characters that we've pieced together from real kids that we've had interactions with, but I never had interactions with the girl you're describing, but I feel like I know her because of the fictional story that we use throughout the book to teach the content that we've brought together. And so I think what really impacted me with Tanisha is seeing the specific examples of how occupational therapy and classroom teacher can combine to benefit each of these children. And that's why I say she was a special girl, because I feel like I know her because I've seen her character develop as we've written the book. Yeah. And part of the other person that I incorporated into the character in the book is my daughter. My daughter is now an adult. And it wasn't really until she was an adult that we were able to resolve some of the issues that she had growing up. She had a lot of dietary problems. Mm -hmm. For instance, in seventh grade, we got a permission slip from her pediatrician that said that between this time and this time in the morning, that she could actually have a snack. Because mm-hmm. she was have not, she doesn't have diabetes, but her blood sugars and her, her tolerance and kind of weird things, but it was never diabetes. It was not the sugar sugar that was the problem, mm-hmm. but the way she reacted to it. And today we have discovered that she's intolerant, not, not allergic, but intolerant to gluten and lactose and onions and garlic. So I utilized that as part of Tanisha's character. Mm. And do you remember what happens in the story um, with Tanisha and, and the food? Do you remember that? I do believe that she gets pulled out of class to go get a snack. I think so. I think that made it into the book. Yeah. Yeah. What other things happen with Tanisha? You know, and I think you bring up sort of a bigger point, and that is a lot of things that maybe we allow in the whole classroom today that we never used to. And so as educators or therapists or instructional aides or intervention specialists or even administrators or parents sometimes wonder why in tier one, whole classroom instruction, we sometimes have snack every day at 9.30. Or, you know, we, we, we have kids that bring water to school. You know, and, and it's funny because, you know, Gen X, you know, uh, being a part of the Gen X, it's like we never had to have water at school. You know, I think times are different now. And sometimes we're allowing some of these things in school because one or two kids need it. And why not have everybody have the opportunity for these same types of things? And... I think today there are so many more intolerant or allergies that we really didn't have before. Of course, I don't know anything about it. I just know that the percentages are up, and I know that we're dealing with a lot more of those special types of health issues and for kids that are very young. So part of what we talk about in the book also is collaborating with therapy and education and bringing some of these pull-out things into the whole classroom. And I actually didn't think about that until you were talking about the snack from your daughter. And I thought, gosh, that's pretty commonplace. 
And I never really thought as an educator that it stems from certain students or a small population of students having certain needs. And then we reflect and say, why not allow that for all kids? What would it hurt? Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know that we've made the best decision on on all of those things, but it just gave me a realization of why some of the things maybe have changed in schools. Mm -hmm. So one of the other things that's happening with Tanisha is that she gets pulled out of class right as math is, is starting. And in the book, she goes away with me for a two-minute, like for those of you who are just listening to this, I'm doing an air quote, for a two-minute exercise break. Now, we have a lot of kids who are on sensory diets, sensory menus, sensory this and sensory that. But for this particular child, it wasn't as much the sensory that was the issue. She needed the cardiovascular boost to boost her brain and refocus it because without it, she wasn't getting that stimulation. Now, back her up a little bit, when she was in fifth grade, she was still getting recess. Sixth grade come along, and in that particular school, sixth grade was that transition. And all of a sudden, she started exhibiting behaviors. And we realized that there was something that was needed. And through the intervention of OT, we were able to pinpoint several exercises that she was able to pull from. Some of them included cross crawls. So that's where your one elbow touches the knee on the other one, and then you go back and forth, and you're you're raising your, your knee up to your elbow. So you're not bending down to it. You're bringing them together. And... So one of the activities was that. Another one was jumping jacks. I mean, these things that you do in PE. So what we did as part of her IEP, because she was on consult with OT, she was on consult for PT, she was getting adaptive PE, we rotated. We had enough days in the week that each one of us took what we could And the PE teacher, yeah, the PE teacher got a couple more days because they were there more often. But we were able to rotate. And in the book, I am taking her out that day. But this one here is coming in to visit and and helping the teacher. And we have this passing of things and... She and I know one another at this point, but the teacher doesn't know that we know one another. And so it's very interesting how the the story plays out a little bit. So what, well, we're going to talk about that another episode. So let's not go into what happens with with our teacher. With our teacher, yes, yes, yes. But the, the change in Tanisha from before I take her out to when I bring her back as far as an educator what do you think? Functional and focused. I, I think you, you talked about that, that movement, the stimulation, the crossing midline allows our brains to reconnect and refocus. And it's exactly what she needed to come back and access the learning, access the content. So m- many times with many of our special ed students, the learning disability itself 
is not the disconnect from them to the content. It's the disconnect in the focus so that they can intake the content. And I think as an educator, that's one thing I notice as students are getting intervention, particularly the movement intervention, the brain breaks, is their ability to very quickly in two minutes or less refocus and re-engage and not only re-engage, but engage at a higher level than what they did before. This has been really good to recap the story for ourselves. And I hope that you guys appreciate this conversation that we're having with you and that you are able to go, hmm, I want to learn more about this story because we have a special offer for you. We do, don't we? Yes, we do. So I keep talking about this companion course, and you're going to hear about it. But I want to share with you something that is inside that uh, companion course. And that is the Purple X mini course. The Purple X mini course started with something that John Lee was doing. And I went, oh, wow, I want to use that with my kids. And I noticed something about this Purple X that was, I got to take this back to John Lee. And then we started talking and we elaborated and we realized that we have a really unique connection with this Purple X. So, hmm, how do we share a Purple X right now? Well, just, <laughs> you know, auditorily, a, a Purple X is a type of quick dot. and what, a quick dot? A quick dot. And quick dots have many variations. This one happens to be purple in color, and it creates an image of an X but it's made out of dots. The reason it's called a quick dot is these quick dots started mathematically. Me as a math teacher, a math educator, I wanted to make math accessible, level the playing field for all ability levels of students. A quick dot was one way to do that because I could remove the numbers, remove the symbols, remove the notation, remove the words, remove the questions, and basically give students an image of dots a number of dots, and they had to figure out how many dots and how the dots were arranged. The reason this is important is for a couple of things. Number one, students with learning disabilities oftentimes struggle with estimation. So it's an opportunity to allow for practice with estimation, and then we also have some strategies to help students get better at estimation. The other purpose of a quick dot is to learn math fact fluency. So dots are intentionally and deliberately arranged in certain arrangements so that students start to pick up on single-digit multiplication facts as well as single-digit addition facts, which they struggle with so often, not just students with disabilities, but even the typical students. The reason it's called a quick dot is when we're initially introducing the quick dot, we show it to students for about three seconds, take it away, and they have to retrieve all of this wondering and noticing without seeing the image. They've only seen it for a few seconds. So that I think describes really what the quick dot is and where it was developed and what the purpose might be. There's so much more to it. And and I'm sure you have some things to add as well. But it started very mathematical because I, I saw these deficits in students and I saw some of the things that were getting in the way, the notations, the symbols, 
And so this allowed access for all students. It leveled the playing field. And for everyone, their fact fluency and their number sense increased. When I started using it, I noticed that the kids that had the disabilities were really struggling to copy it. So the copying became my focus. So if I take the idea of copying and I move it over to literacy, copying, then dictating, and then self-generation are the stages that you need to go through to to, uh, create a written document. And so I knew that copying was essential because that's the foundation is being able to take a picture over here and move it over here and and make it work and make it the same. And a lot of the kids that that I see as a therapist struggle with that. That's part of the reason that they get put on our caseload is because their visual perception and their visual motor integration are lacking. And recreating an image like that is very difficult. However, as students start to develop that skill through quick dots, they increase not only their mathematical potential, but also their areas of therapy as well. Right. And so one of the things that I did one day, Johnnelly and I were preparing to share the quick dot on one of my master classes. And I went, oh my gosh, I can reimagine this quick dot. And I created the Purple X Reimagine. I've picked out 25 different images that cover all different subject matter within the school system. So I think I have uh, musical notes. I have a paintbrush. Different colors. Different colors. Shading, variations. Different shapes. Shapes. They weren't all circles anymore because a dot is usually considered a circle. Some of them were hearts. Some of them were hexagons. Some of them were an odd-looking octagon or hexagon. I don't know. It was an odder shape. Mm -hmm. So we not only created a variation, but we also noticed that kids didn't know how to overlap their images. And so that we have some that have overlapping dots inside the image, and we've highlighted those in, in the reimagined. And mathematically, this is a crucial skill for understanding higher level mathematics is when you have images that are overlapped, how to either subtract out or only add on a certain part and not the whole unit. Now, I know that's really difficult to understand, especially if you know, you're just watching this and listening to this, you don't have any experience with the quick dot. But I just want to really emphasize the power in it. The other thing I want to say about the quick dot is it is preschool through higher ed. Mathematically connects to all standards at every level. So for example, when Sherry was talking about the copying or recreating in primary grades with our younger kiddos, mathematically, one of the things we're looking for if they have uh, to improve their sense of numbers or fact fluency is for them to have what we call one-to-one correspondence. So as they're recreating and they're drawing these dots, are they able to draw them one for one or are they adding too many or not adding enough? And that's just a simple counting technique. So through the quick dots, we can assess which students struggle with that skill. And then through the quick dots, we can also use that as the intervention. 
all the way through the purple X, originally shown to students, we call it stage three. So a smaller version is stage two and an even smaller version is stage one. So by the time we get to algebra two, we're looking at growing patterns, growing images, and linear and nonlinear functions. So boom, we go from kindergarten all the way to algebra two and everything in between with this one task. So mathematically, it's very powerful, it's essential, and covers so many topics and standards. And visually, it's confusing for kids who are struggling. And so by utilizing some strategies that we talk about in the book, in addition to actually putting dots on paper, we're able to help them not just with math, but also with written expression. Because written expression encompasses so much more than just putting letters on paper. So inside the companion course, we have chosen to include a mini course that was, what, two hours, right? Yes. Two hours of training specifically on how to use the quick dot, which is normally $297. We're including that for you in the companion course If you buy the companion course today, between August 1st and August 31st, 2023, it's $97. Boom. If you wait until after August 31st, the price is going to go up to $197. That's still a saving from the original price. But that's not all. We have people purchase the Purple X-Ray Imagined separately. We're including that. That's going to come as part of this companion course. So there are so many things. Goodness gracious, I told it up. It's around $1,000 of the material that you're getting just from us. Absolutely. As part of this summit. So take advantage of this great offer and, and join the companion course today. And remember, you were put here for such. This has been Sherry Dutterer, the occupational therapist from The Writing Glitch with my co-author, John Lee Zipanzik. Thanks, Sherry.